Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. I never really thought about tools until I bought a house in the suburbs. It's like this weird homeowner test if I need a tool for a project and don't have it. And my neighbor Ted loves to give me that look when I ask to borrow a pole saw. A year ago, I didn't even know pole saws existed. And now I gotta borrow one from Ted? What is happening? Anyway, when you save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto, that's the easy part of adjusting to the suburbs. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. So, hello everyone. Welcome to uh, Base Impact podcast and videocast. Right now we're doing the Suburban Base Chronicles, um, the Suburban Base record label. We're speaking to influential people from bass music that have made an impact, contributed widely, um, and some of the Suburban Base artists are certainly included in that. Today we're speaking to um, Aston, Aston Harvey, one half of DJ Rap and Aston, and uh, many other things which we're going to get into and um, find out what he's done since the sub-bass days, before the sub-bass days, and uh, what he's into now. Aston, welcome. Hi, how you doing? I'm great, it's great to see you. Um, it's been a little while, I saw you out in LA last time you was yeah, over. Up, uh, was it last October or was it before? I, I keep on going to LA quite a bit, but I haven't been there, haven't been there yesterday, obviously. I always so, try and catch you when you're here. I'm missing it. <laughs> Yeah, I need my LA fix soon. Yeah, and uh, and I and I was living in an area where um, you're a Spurs supporter. I'm West Ham, right. oh, yeah. and 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 you <laughs> sent me. To, you said, "Oh, there's a great English pub. Go to this English pub to watch the game, Dan." And I'm like, "Great, that's in my neighbourhood." And uh, and I walk in, there's Spurs shirts all over the wall. I'm like, "He's done me up. Here. He's done me up." Unfortunately, I don't think there is a West Ham club. Is there a West Ham club? Yeah, there? we got we got a supporters club and and, and pubs that we use, but um, you, yeah, you, we, you got saved in the end. You did all right in the end. Yeah, we we scraped through this season. That's enough football talk. Let's yeah. talk music. The sub bass fans will know you um, from uh, Rap and Aston releases that you did yeah. with us. Um, there's so much more I want to talk to you about because. Some of your stuff um, was, was an influence on me bef- before I'd even started sub bass. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking Blaps Posse and, and mm-hmm. stuff like that, so we can talk about that. But the Rap and Aston stuff. And at the same time, I think you also partnered with Rap on Engineers Without Fears. I met Rap, we used to go to the same record shop, which was uh, City Sounds that was in Hoban. Not there anymore. And like, Hoban's all completely, Hoban in London, if anyone doesn't, doesn't know. And there used to be this uh, great record shop there called Sea Sounds. Lots of uh, early 
well-known DJs they are now. You know, and even back in the day, used to go there and hang out. More like people that lived in central London. Obviously, your shop was more east, anyone that lived in Essex. So, uh, but people that live more like central London or north, just more central, either north, south, east or west. And uh, yeah, it was a kind of... Um, like a melting pot and meeting up area for lots of DJs and producers. And uh, I met Sharisa, you know, by going to shop and she just wanted to really work with me. So, I mean, at the time I was programming for his Congo Natty now, but I also I was doing my Black Spossy stuff, which I'm... Sorry, you was an engineer at um, Noisegate Studios, right? Which was like yeah, double, right. double so trouble I, and... Yeah, so basically how my musical career started off, um, I was, um, friends of mine used to come over to my house, I had my decks and we used to kind of emulate what we were listening to, uh, you know, our, our rap heroes. And I used to have my two decks, as I said, and I used to cut like the breaks, those ultimate breaks and beats albums. And a few of them, these guys used to come over to my house, I used to do the scratch the beats and we used to record it onto cassette. And I suggested, I said, you know, let's go and do this properly in a studio, but I didn't know what I was talking about. Because it wasn't like nowadays, you know, it's so easy, easy access for everyone. Anyway, a friend of mine found a studio, which turned out to be Noisegate, to do DJ uh, mix lessons. And I just went there just to see what, what was going on. And it turned out, well, basically it was a studio in a house. And uh, they had facilities to do exactly what we wanted to do. It didn't feel like it was in a big studio. It felt very intimate, very relaxed and blah, blah, blah. So I said to my friends, right, I found a studio. Let's go there. So we started doing demos and tracks. And one of the guys went on to, to this, be this British rap group called The Brotherhood. And one of the other guys is Trevor Jackson, who's done various things. He went under the name of Undog and does Playgroup and a bit of a mover and groover in the scene. Yeah, so I was going there. And then I, so I was going there and then I started trying to do my own things. And as I said, it wasn't like there was internet or there was schools to go and learn how to use equipment or anything like that. And I, I thought, right, if I can, instead of going to the studio and say, oh, can you sample this for me? Can you do this for me? Can you loop these beats? I wanted to learn how to do it myself. So somehow I managed to get a job working. They offered me a job working at the studio. I think I knew the, uh, Lee, who was in Double Trouble, his girlfriend's brother somehow randomly, even though he lived in South London, he would date some girl around my area. <laughs> Okay. Anyway, so it went from there and uh, yeah, so I started working in the studio. I met various acts at the time. So there was Jason who went on to do Black's Pulse. He was Dynamic Governors, SL2, the guys from, a couple of DJs from Hijack used to come over. Oh, there was loads of like old school artists used to come over there. I used to do loads of jingles and radio uh, adverts for pirate radio stations. It was back in the day when everyone would walk in with their phones that were like, you know, hanging off their arms. And, <laughs> so uh, this was uh, almost like a kind of hip hop, British hip hop, yeah, before yeah, it transitioned yeah, yeah. to like yeah. the Ray so thing. The, the period before <laughs> I was like at late 89. So I got this job. Well, I was going to the studio beforehand, but I got this job working in the studio at 89. I dropped out of doing my A-levels. I thought I was young enough at the time. It all went screwed up and go back and study. But I, push, I, you know, I pushed it in and I, you know, and I got really good at using the equipment and I started doing my own tunes and experimenting my downtime. Then like Jay, who's doing Dynamic Governors, was coming there as a punter and a customer. And um, I was like, when he was, when I first got going, I was blown away by his music because I was just hearing hip hop stuff mixed with 
but it was sped up and mixed like in a house, you know, clubby way. It was completely different to anything I'd heard. Anyway, and we started talking, I want, you know, and somehow I managed to end up making records with him under Black's Posse, plus doing still engineering. And I guess obviously the Black's Posse stuff kind of blew up, you know, especially like Don't Hold Back and Bust It. And then yeah. we did Epitome of Hype with the Ladies with an Attitude and all those other big tuners. It's uh, Instructions of Life that came out on D-Zone. It was all related to the same people. So, they, you know, they're all like big popular tracks that we were doing. From working at Double Trouble Studio, that's where I met Rebel MC Congo Natty. Right. So I started programming. So was you involved with the, the Double Trouble track? No, with they Rebel MC? The Double Trouble. They did it themselves. They did so uh, Just Keeps Rocking, those sort of early yeah, hits. Just Keeps Rocking was done by, by Liam Michael yeah. and Rebel at the time. Yeah. Um, but then what happened was uh, Rebel was coming to the studio. Um, I started putting his, you know, he'd come and make tracks and I was engineering his tracks and putting them together. Um, and then, then we started working on his first album. So I kind of worked on his, I worked properly on his like first three albums, I think, something like that. Wow. Uh, but at that time, actually, when he was working in, on his first album, he's working in a studio called Roundhouse Studios, that's in Chalk Farm, yeah. next to the Roundhouse building. So right. there's this big plus studio, like big mixing desk. It was really good. Loads of famous bands used to come in there and out, used to meet loads of people. Yeah, so going to the record shop, Rap must have known me for my black stuff. And she said, you really wanted to work with me. So um, I had a sampler and keyboard, I think. And we just, just made it in a bedroom. Oh no, originally it was a remix she asked me to do. And then it kind of went from there. So yeah, and I used to go to her house, uh, you know, pretty much every day when she was living in um, uh, Walthamstow. Yeah. And that's how, how it all happened. So I did it. Yeah, so I originally, right, okay. So the first, the first Suburban Bass release. first release released on Suburban Bass was, I can't remember. <laughs> was v it Vertigo? Vertigo? Vertigo was, Vertigo was the first one. Okay, but there was a- was And then Jeopardy? Je well, the, one of them was like a, one of them she asked me to do a remix, but then it turned into like the actual track. I can't remember if it was Jeopardy or Vertigo. You know, 30 years later, I didn't know that story. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. Because, I, I mean, we just, we signed those tracks and, and like, you know, they were, to me, it was like, yep, that's the original, that was the first time I heard them. Yeah, yeah, they were the yeah, original yeah. tracks. And then obviously, you know, your label at the time was like the hottest British underground label involved in that music. It was like, wow, we're on that label. It's like, wicked. Yeah, so we did that and then, um, and then we did a follow-up. I can't, you know, I don't know, I'm to go. I remember also we did those subplates as well, which was like a new concept, putting yeah. the, the records like on a on like a 10 inch dub plate, which hadn't yeah. really been done. It was always, it was normally reserved for, if it was a dub plate, but you called it subplate, and it was actually yeah, available to buy. Cut it as a 10 inch. And, and again, it was kind of, I think the tracks we did on there were, maybe a bit darker and like, I know they were really popular so you know yeah. as a concept as well it was a really popular concept for you yeah we did really well with those and they're, they're very collectible now I mean you see people sort of trading them and they're on discogs and that Actually, and I must say the one thing that a lot of people loved about the label was the artwork it was just the maddest artwork yeah um, I can't remember who did the art Dave nods nods Oh, that's it, yeah. I mean, yeah. like the artwork was just amazing artwork. Just like the whole, 
you know, from your logo to just everyone's releases were just so cool, you know, like the artwork. I remember, the, you know, especially, you know, I was talking about my tune, the Vertigo artwork was so mad with that sort of, like an art gallery. Yeah, yeah. Art gallery. Yeah, we tried to make it really abstract and artistic. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I think yeah. that's what set us apart as Suburban Bass was like, we had a very strong identity, you know, and we, we tapped into, because we, we were into hip hop and everything, you know, yeah, yeah, before, yeah, yeah. before rave. So you see a lot of that element in, in the design and stuff. But the fact that, like, I, I kind of knew right from the start about, you know, branding it up and marketing it and having like uh, an, an attention to, to detail and um, aesthetics. I mean, to me, just things need to look right. We're releasing some, um, some re-releasing some of the merch now because there's been so many crappy bootlegs out there. And it's like, well, let's spend a little bit more and make sure the quality's right. Let's make sure the quality's as good as they were back then. People have still got their t-shirts and, you know, all those designs you're talking about. They've still got them now, 30 years later, you know? I'll get you another one. Send me your address. Like all the artists on the label, like we all had like a common interest of, of the music because of that kind of age, whether we were like a little bit older or a little bit younger, everyone was in that same, you know, we grew up on a diet of hip hop. We liked the sound of new sound house and the, the European techno So It was like a mad mishmash of everything. Yeah. I think, I mean, for me, your, your releases were quite influential because I was aware of, like Jason's Dynamic Governor stuff and, and um, Blaps Posse, which is you and Jason, before I started Suburban Bass. And that was like the first inkling to me. This, this was hip hop, but faster. And I'm yeah, like, oh, yeah, so break, Breakbeat Cam, because I was through and through a hip hop kid and, and like, uh, you know, I was collecting like funk breaks and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And for me, when I realized that that element could be rave, mm -hmm. Um, that's when I started developing the releases for Suburban Bass. So that was an influence on me. Your, your records were definitely an influence on me. That kind of hip hop, you know, pre-hip house, I guess, kind of yeah, sound. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Funny enough, though, it might have been done down, I was thinking, it might have been down to the technology that was available because in, well, in the studio I was using, it was pre, even pre the 900, I think the first Akai was like a 900, or nine, I think it was a 900, 950. Yeah. And then before that, you had an MPC 60, but I'd never used an MPC 60. But basically, in total, you can have eight seconds of one sample or you can have eight one second sample. You know what I mean? It was just, it was like that. So to get your beat in, you'd have to put it, I mean, it's, oh, yeah, it actually sounds all right at like 45. You know, it's just like, and then I, I can't remember, like, I'm sure we used to have to lay the beats onto a tape and then manually press the beats so it'd loop on top of the other thing. Yeah. But when we made like, um, on the Blaps thing, when we made um, like Don't Hold Back and Bust It, we'd run out of, there was only like, um, I think it was eight track tape. So back then you'd record onto tape and then you record onto another tape to get your master. Yep. I think what happened was you ran out of uh, tapes. You know, you have your vocals and your beats and your bass, whatever. So I think we did the scratching live onto the mix there. We had to do the live. Oh, wow. <laughs> so yeah. So it's just like, oh, if you get the mistake, it's just like, oh, ball yeah. ache. Or you have to edit it. So back then, obviously, it was like, get your tape out and just edit the whole, you know. I mean, we've, we've said it before. It's, it's the limitation of that equipment that led to this creativity. And yeah, almost, yeah, yeah, totally. it gave birth yeah, yeah. to this scene, didn't it, really? You know, like these sounds that we, we had to try and get out of this very limited equipment and this technology. That's it. And, he, and even like early sequences were different. Because I remember like, 
like the, the first SIGs I used was, uh, it was called Steinberg Pro 24. Mm-hmm. I think for some reason or other, I, I, from what I remember, we used to have to like, you'd put the beat down for eight minutes, uh, you know, six, five, six minutes, however long. So you just loop it, loop it, loop it. And again, like the bass, it, so there would be no like, you no, know, nowadays you have arrangements, you have your bit here and your bit there and your yeah. and so on. There, you'd have to have the mixing desk. So you have the mutes on the mixing desk. You'd go like, one, two, three, <laughs> you know, like counting your beats and bars. So you'd get the, the mutes in and out, you know, and sometimes you get a mistake. But sometimes those mistakes worked as well, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's mad how much um, our music actually pushed the technology, you know? And it yeah, made yeah. maybe the manufacturers and, and the software improve because of like, you know, what people like yeah, you were, were using it yeah. for, you know? Totally, I mean, like, you know, I think when the 950 came along, you could do, uh, obviously that, the, the, you know, the classic time stretch noise that was probably never even designed to do that. Someone freakly found, oh, what's this? Oh, that sounds mad. Yeah. Probably, you know, something like that. And then, um, you know, using like even the sign bass out of the samplers that everyone used to use, to use for the sub, sub bass. I don't know, it's it like the filters, yeah. things like that, you know, program your filters and, you know, so yes, you're right. I think as as us dance producers were, were kind of pushing the boundaries of the machinery, these, you know, whoever making the music, uh, the, the machines were helping us in a way as well, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we kind of pushed the agenda. I mean, I think it's really interesting. There's probably a lot of um, maybe the, the sub bass fans that, maybe haven't connected the dots. So how influential some of your stuff's been. I mean, producing Rebel MC's albums, uh, engineering those albums, the Rap and Aston stuff, the Engineers Without Fear stuff. I don't know if people actually know that you're behind all, all of those. Blaps Posse was an early influence for me. And, yeah. then, and then Freestylers. I mean, what a huge artist brand that's been for you and totally blew up crossover stuff. That kind of took me to the next level, obviously. That kind of, uh, you know, that helped kind of push my career. But obviously there was lots of getting there, you know, trying to get there. When I first started making music, I was, you know, I was really obviously into the whole hip hop, you know, the whole rave sound, I guess, you know, breakbeat sound. After working rap, I kind of started doing some house music because I was really into like my early 90s house and that kind of went up till about 96, 97. And what was that artist's and name? I got, managed to remix loads of like R&B artists into house and I was going on the name Uno Cleo, where a friend of mine, Gareth, another guy, Paul Woods, who used to work at City Sounds as well, but Paul left and I was just working with Gareth. I was doing these big, I did like a, I even did a Michael Jackson remix. I don't even know if it got released. Wow. I did like a, Mar- funny enough, I did this Mary J. Blige reminisce. Mm-hmm. And it went in the charts here because of our remix. And then we started getting loads of mixes, I think, because of that. And then I was doing this project called Soul Brothers with my friend Andrew. Mm-hmm. And and then we signed a track to this label called Fresh Records, uh, who were like, Around about 96, 96, were like the the late, you know, really cool. They had loads of big underground hits. Yeah. And Matt, who's my partner in Freestyles, did that track "You Sure Do." Mm-hmm. It's still a massive sort of handbag house tune today. You know that that record transported him to a completely, you know, next level. And 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 the label too. So they became a very successful label. And so I was putting these tracks out of Soul Brothers and on the label. And then uh, Matt. Because Matt knew my music from 
he was interested in my Blaps stuff and the previous, not so much my Soul Brothers stuff. He said, oh, you know, let's try and, I've got this idea to do a tune. Kind of made this tune, sampled a bit here and put it together and put a white label out. Actually, I think we did three tracks and then that became popular and a lot of successful producers, they make one tune and then it goes on to others, but you never know what's gonna, you know, there's always tracks you'll make like, yeah, this is the best thing ever. And it just goes, shoop. yeah. <laughs> And 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 then and then you make a tune that you think oh you know funny enough you mentioned it earlier I don't know if I should say this but like when I when I when I finished that track spiritual aura I didn't like it <laughs> I really didn't like it really that's that's track, really popular like the sample get raw it just went, just went get raw yeah it's really weird I know I just didn't like and, and she just wanted to keep the get raw and I said oh, I don't like that and at the time we weren't getting on so well. <laughs> And it kind of was just an amalgamation that I just like, oh, just, yeah. But it went on and it's mad because that track just became such a massive, uh, influential foundation record, um, way beyond that I could, you know, yeah. anyone that loves old school music, and I tell them I did that or they knew they did, they go, oh my God, you don't understand. Spiritual law was like, you know, the tune and, you know. Isn't that yeah. funny? And it's, n it's never the ones that you predict, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's mad, yeah. It's, it's mad. But when I started doing freestyle, so, so as I said, it's like, you know, I made a couple of tunes. It was more like B-boy electro tunes, but done, you know, yeah. like now. And then we did a couple of tunes. And the track that changed for us was when we <clears throat> did a track B-boy stance with Tenafly, you know, got, got in the radio and yeah. in the charts and did Top the Pops and, that was huge. Like that. But it was good because for freestylers, I kind of came back to my roots, you know, it was, it was my love of old school hip hop, dub reggae, and kind of, uh, you know, like. It breaks, uh, yeah, it's like. Yeah, it breaks, like Ravies, you know, kind of style, without being too obviously 1990. <laughs> so, yeah. And Acid House and, you know, shit like that. So, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, and, and you know, and I've been doing it 23, four years now. It's freestyle, it's still going strong. Yeah, that's just finished a new album actually. So, you have tell us about that. I mean, you're still recording. I mean, you was touring pretty regularly as freestylers and DJing. Yeah, but... well, I mean, touring, yeah, I mean, pretty much gigging most weekends up until obviously uh, <clears throat> my last gig was in Moscow in um, beginning of March. And I had a load of gigs this summer, but obviously everything's cancelled. I've got no idea when the next show will be. Right. Doing a, done a couple of streams. We did a couple of, uh, I've done a couple of DJ ones. I'm doing one actually this weekend with Crafty Cuts. But funnily enough, we did, uh, uh, for people that know, we actually have a full live band. Again, when I started doing freestyles, it was quite rare for a, a dance act to have a, a full live band. Yeah. So, uh, and it was, and it was, that again, took us to a kind of level that I don't think just DJing would have. And uh, I mean, we've kept at it and, you know, we do shows every now and again. Anyway, I did a track with Jay uh, a couple of years ago and I've kind of rejigged it for our Freestylers album. So I'm going to have a Freestylers featuring Black's Posse tune, which is cool. And also I've done a, a, another track with Jay under his Mad Dr. X name. Mm -hmm. which is like a down-tempo, sort of scratchy stoner tune. He did a track for, um, it was used as like a skit, but it was really popular, um, called Puffin' the Herb. 
and it yeah. was on it was on human traffic it was using human traffic yeah and so we kind of developed the track kind of originally it was just a beat and just puffing the herb and anyway we've kind of made it into a proper tune now and that's going on the albums a lot of like weed references on that track so it's quite mad and then so yeah so i've done this new freestylers album uh, i started it last year and sort of finished it this year and it's been good because i haven't had any pressure to do one and i've gone back to the roots and it's come out i'm really excited really happy with it in fact i've done a, a track that i gave to the first single I gave to Mark from Rat Pack last year. I was playing golf with him, and they're still so busy, Rat Pack. I mean, well, they were. I was just killing it. You know, the, the old school scene, because a lot of parents now our age, their kids, are, if they had kids, you know, they're in their 20s, so they can go out and they can go parts. There's a lot of older original ravers that are going back out raving, and also kids are well into the music as well. Yeah. But, uh, so I gave this tune to Mark, I said, I said, normally I give him anything, but I just had, I, I, I hadn't given it to him yet. And I said, oh, Mark, I said, I said do, do kids still take E's? He goes, yeah, of course they do. I said, I've done this tune, it's quite rushy. Anyway, so I gave it to him. And then about a month later, he said, he goes, I'm getting all these texts and messages about what's this tune and like blah, blah, blah. And this year, because obviously lots of people have been doing the stream, the DJ streams, like every week he was sending me, what's this tune? And I get him messages on, on, on my uh, freestylers Facebook, because this tune has kind of developed naturally, like back in the old days when you make a tune and like the hype before like, well, when can I get this tune? When I get this tune, it's not out. And it's, because normally as soon as a tune comes out, it's just straight away bootlegs on the internet. Yeah. And and fortunately it hasn't, that hasn't happened yet. And, and the reaction has been great. So it's like a proper, and because it's called happiness and it's very kind of, it's a, an, it's a nice, sweet tune in dark times, let's say. <laughs> that's nice, yeah. And it's almost like an old school kind of promo on that. That's like, it's yeah, yeah, the, that's it. yeah, the PR yeah, on it yeah, is, yeah. is working the way it kind of used to, a little yeah, building yeah, like yeah. that. It's really weird. About 2010, I did this track with Tenafly, and it was like, it was just before dubstep blew up. But I wanted to do like a kind of, it was sort of dubstepy, but it wasn't like a bro step thing. It was like more like a reggae sort of dubby step thing at like 140 and his manager kind of put the track up but didn't put it out properly so it's just nothing really happened with it mm -hmm. anyway i had a brainwave one more and i said right i'm going to make it into a jungle tune so that tune's on and out on the album uh i've done a track with spider you know who's on tarantula and a few other tracks yeah um and the rest is some samples and uh, i haven't worked with like the usual people. So it's kind of a new vibe as well. So it's worked out, you know, really good. Just one of those things really. And it's, but it's a weird time knowing how to promote an album or, or even a single release yeah. right now and, and getting out there through this like COVID situation we're living through, you know, DJing and live touring is completely gone. How are you coping at the moment? And what, what are you doing? You recording How am I some... coping? Um, well, this summer I'm playing I play golf really badly, but I've been playing a bit of golf. Doing anything music musically? I, I, the first, I think maybe because I finished the album. Oh no! When it first went into lockdown, I'd finished the album. But I kind of was slow in mixing, and I just I didn't do anything for about a month and a, over a month. I didn't even go on my computer. I just was like, oh, what's going on here? 
so I finished that off and then just been doing bits and bobs. Actually, I've done a wicked remix for Aphrodite on a track, one of his old, uh, oh. under name Ozone, Calling All The it's called calling all the people. Yeah, that's come out wicked. That's come out really, really good. Yeah. I'm excited about that. I love Gavin. Uh, we're gonna have to try and we have to try and talk to Gavin on uh, on one of these video chats as well. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's a great yeah. guy. So, yeah, and he really likes it. So that's definitely. Um, I've, I, I find like, I I find less is more for me. I, I I rather I'd rather do quality tracks than a lots of good ones and. Yeah, I mean, the, the DJing thing as well, like everyone wants to be a DJ, everyone thinks they're a DJ, but um, it's a unique talent, just sort of like reading the room, selecting the room, going with a pre-programmed kind of, um, you know, an idea of what you're going to be playing or you've even got the set worked out is, seems like strange to me. That's, is that reading the room? I mean, the weird thing is, it's like, what are, you know, I mean, dance music got really popular in the States around about 2010, but since the kind of demise of dubstep and EDM, there's a lot of people that were involved in that scene. Where have they gone? What are they doing? It's like, have they stopped doing it? Have they, you know, what? It feels like a lot of people jumped on a bandwagon, you know? And, it, you know, now that first wave of kind of success and, and you know, um, the, the big explosion of EDM or dubstep in the, in the States kind of subsided somewhat. It's left just the people that really care about it and they're still making it and still making good stuff, you know? But all the people that sort of jumped on it and thought, oh, money and fame, mm. I mean, good riddance to them, right? I mean, I mean... It's the same kind of here as well, you know, there's a lot of guys that were making, you know, dubstep and, and I don't know, where have they gone? Like, have they got normal jobs now? What, what's happened? It's just like, I don't know. It's always like... But then again, I guess back in the day, you know, there was people making rave music and like they couldn't, you know, but, you know, I, I'm very, I'm, I feel very fortunate that I've spent my entire adult life making music. I've been very fortunate in that respect. Yeah. I've made a career out of it. Yeah, no, I, I you know, I, I believe in what I've, you know, in, in what I'm doing. I know, I know it sounds cheesy, but, you know, I, I believe I had some kind of attitude towards it more so than maybe some other person that might, you know, but, you know, I mean, it doesn't mean I'm the most successful, I'm far from the most successful financially. I think we're very, I agree, we're very lucky that we've been able to make a career out of something we love and, mm. and in the music business, I think, I think we're very lucky. But then by the same token, you know, there was no guarantees in this when we got in it. We did it because we loved it. And it's as simple as that, you know, you, you don't run about on, you know, on roofs of tower blocks on pirate radio and, and you know, putting on illegal raves and stuff uh, for that's money it. and fame. You do it because you love it, you know? Well, that's it. It was because it was something totally new. This is the difference between now, now and then and now, is that now it just seems to be about more like a, like a fashion statement, more like a, it's what, what you look like and what you are and what your brand is all about rather than the actual content of your music. So it's like your music is completely second and everything else is for, you know, like your Instagram, how good you are at posing and how, yeah. how, how many videos and how many likes you get on a thing. That's what it's all about. It's not about, um, the actual music whereas in our days it was all about the music it was totally done from the love and, and desire and passion for it yeah and to say that you know these people are passionate about what they're doing but it's completely different 
you know. I mean, quite often you wouldn't even see the DJ you go into a club. You go into somewhere like AWOL and like it, it was a black room and where's, where's the DJ, you know? It's, it, it's not like EDC, business, you know? Yeah, but I think all business, it's like any career business. Like, you know, if you think, I know we're not talking about football, but football players, let's say the 80s, like mid 90s, when they stopped playing football, even the most successful ones, the money that they were on compared to the stars of today is just yeah. ludicrous. I'll go and drive a cab now. Today, <laughs> a lot of the players today don't even like, you're paying someone 130 quid, 130 grand a week. And they're just like, what? How is that player getting that amount of money? Yeah. You know, that should be only reserved for a small percentage, but it seems to be that because a lot of the some of these football teams, like Man City, have kind of inflated the market, they'll pay, you know, you know, X amount of money just to buy this person. Yeah. And they're not really even worth that, but just to get him because they know what they can. And I think music, you know, saying so like getting back to music, what we did back then, and you know, like a top DJ. I mean, who's the top? Okay, well, Carl Cox has still been going since back way back. So, yeah. so obviously, he's very successful now. But like, you know, the money that Carl was getting back then compared to what he's getting now, or let's say even taking even more, like Skrillex, you know, like Exum or Calvin Harris, the amount of money they're getting paid for a DJ set. Yeah. Compared to like, you know, like four, I think five hundred pounds seen back then was like wow. I'm actually getting paid. I'm getting paid to play. Like, wow. Yeah. Yeah, if you're getting 500 pounds, that was like massive money back then. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, it's true. But I mean, maybe this, Aston, this COVID situation levels the playing field a little bit, you know? It's like now it at this point. Yeah, it has in a way. Because I feel like a lot of people that were, where they, I feel like, yeah, in this period, where have they gone? Where is their presence? Their presence doesn't seem to be. Where is their presence? So, uh, so the people that survived this, and you know, the people that are left standing after this kind of it's almost like an extinction event, you know, when when COVID <laughs> comes to an end, there's going to careers are going to be finished. The ones that are still standing are going to be the ones that really care about it, really love it, and they're doing it for the right reasons. Thanks a lot, mate. Cheers for doing this. Really appreciate. Yeah, it. yeah, great. It's great. Uh, great to talk about all this stuff. I think that's what's great about this. I think, you know, the suburban base followers know you from Rappin' Aston, but now they can join the dots and go, oh my God, you know, yeah. this, this guy has had this influence throughout all these things. Freestylers is so huge and spiritual, or, you know, Engineers Without Fears was huge. Black Swassie was huge. And I think you've been, you know, you've made your contribution and, and made your mark on dance music and just thank you so much. Oh, Thanks for listening to the Bass Impact Podcast. Please subscribe for more episodes and follow Suburban Bass Records on our Facebook, Instagram and YouTube for updates and additional content. Thanks for your support. Tune in next time and stay safe. Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. I never thought about space in my cramped apartment, but in this house, all I see is empty space. The sofa and ottoman look like tiny islands in a sea of hardwood floors. I could get two ottomans in the living room, but then I'd need another sofa. <gasps> I could tell people I'm into minimalism. 
Anyway, when you save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto, that's the easy part of adjusting to the suburbs. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers.